Hello, thank you for joining us for another episode on the FinTech Podcast. If you are new to Discovering Us, be sure to check in on our other episodes with previous FinTech experts. Also, to catch the latest updates and to notify you when a new episode is to be released, make sure to follow our socials at FinTechMag. The hot topic for this week is all to do with sustainable finance. We recently got the chance to sit down with Kelly Fryer, the Executive Director at FinTech Sandbox, to discuss more. I suppose we can just start off with just seeing how you are, how, you know, how, how your day's going so far. I know obviously it's uh, it's morning for you guys, so uh, it, hopefully it's a good Friday for you. <laughs> it is so far. I mean, I um, I got up a little bit earlier this morning just trying to, I usually try and get some work done before everybody else on my team wakes up. <laughs> so I'm, I'm a morning person, so it makes it a little bit easier. So I got up a bit early to, to try and get some work done. Um, but no, it's been been a great morning so far. It kind of feels like on a Friday, I don't know if you get it, but it's almost like a second wind, you know, it's going to be the weekend soon. So you kind of feel more motivated in the morning. I started at eight this morning, which was even then I was just like, I kind of wanted to get everything done before, you know, catch up meetings and talking to everyone else. So yeah, it's kind of like a I don't know, motivational Friday, if you call it. Yeah, that. <laughs> I think you're right. There's like a light at the end of the tunnel. You feel like there's yeah. some dream room coming. So you're like, yeah, let me try and get some stuff done. Enjoy the weekend. I'm with you on that. Kelly, thank you so much for joining me. Um, if we want to just maybe start off with, well, I suppose, you know, we're going to find out in a moment what uh, you're all about and um, obviously to find out more about the company. But um, I just want to say congratulations, actually, um, oh, for you. obviously um, gaining your new position as um, as an as executive. So if you'd like to just maybe tell me a little bit about your background and how you came to be executive director at FinTech Sandbox. Yeah, absolutely. I'll, um, I'll actually start a little bit talking just about what FinTech Sandbox is for anybody who's not familiar. Um, so FinTech Sandbox is a, a nonprofit that enables early stage FinTechs to build product uh, by giving free access to critical data and resources. So we have an incredible network of over 40 data providers who provide access to their premium data sets and support our startups across the US, Canada, UK, um, so we've been around since 2015 and have worked with, I think, about 225 startups, 10 enterprise sponsors, 40 data providers across fintech and financial services. So um, really great reach with the company. Um, and like you mentioned, I've been on, in, on the job for um, about two months now, which has gone by so fast and is exciting. But uh, in terms of my background, so right before joining Fintech Sandbox, I worked for Techstars as their program director for their Fintech Accelerator program in New York, um, so called the Barclays Accelerator powered by Techstars. And I ran that for three accelerator classes, really getting to sit directly at this amazing intersection between early stage Fintechs, venture capitalists, major incumbents. Um, and I got to support both founders, which I'm passionate about, and cultivate this community of mentors and investors and enterprises. And then I actually got my career started by working for Bloomberg LP in their global data department. Um, so as a data analyst and then doing some special projects, which is funny to look back on now. So I was like leading projects that utilize at the time fairly new technologies like machine learning and natural language processing and things that we talk about a lot today um, that were like pretty new concepts at the time. And so this role is the executive director of FinTech Sandbox is just kind of this really wonderful merging of all my past experiences, which is why I was so excited to take the, the opportunity. So 
from the Techstars side, I know the ecosystem really well. I understand how early stage fintechs operate and their needs and challenges. Um, in fact, several of my Techstars portfolio companies are also fintech sandbox companies. Um, so it's great to have that overlap. And then for my time with Bloomberg, I obviously understand kind of the data provider perspective as well. Um, so it's been incredibly helpful to have both of those backgrounds now as executive director for Fintech Sandbox. So I suppose all the knowledge that you've just talked about, you know, your career journey so far has actually been putting all those little bit of uh, segments that you kind of learned across the way. You're now able to establish that in your new role. I mean, congratulations that you've only really been in this new position for not that long. And, you know, I think at the moment with everything going on, that must feel even a bit more surreal, I suppose, that you're not only obviously having uh, the new job, but it's, it feels like weird times at the moment. Has it felt like more of a challenge trying to um, manage that position, you know, with obviously the impact of COVID and everything happening at the moment, working from home? Has that kind of um, changed things a little bit? Yeah, good question. Coming off of Techstars, you know, we were a fairly um, distributed and remote company to begin with. So as in being virtual, being at home wasn't um, completely new to me. I'd say the interesting thing coming into a new role during virtual world <laughs> um, is much more so just like trying to get to know everybody. You know, I'm managing a whole team that I've only met half of them in person so far. Um, so it's just kind of interesting more from those dynamics of uh, getting to know folks. I think especially with like onboarding, when you think about companies that are onboarding new hires in this virtual environment, you have to be much, much more intentional about the trainings that you're doing because there's no passing conversation. You can't say, oh, well, hey, can I show you this real quick? It's every meeting that you set up, you have to say, okay, I wanna make sure we go through this thing and that thing and that thing, instead of you know just kind of those common office conversations that happen, happen naturally. Yeah, definitely. I think that's definitely one of the things at the moment that a lot of companies are experiencing, and like you just said, that actually you're still having that communication and that interaction with fellow colleagues and uh, other companies, but you're not necessarily seeing them in person. So, you know, they're actually, either taller than me or they're actually you know like they actually it sounds really crazy but you're looking at them on a screen and for a second I forget you know that, that it's an actual person like you know they're actually a bit different than just like yeah. talking like this you know it's so um, true I was actually yeah. um, speaking to someone the other day uh, funny enough and he was saying oh yeah I met um, a new hire on my team I met him in person just for you know kind of a socially distant coffee um, mm -hmm. But when the person had the mask on, he had no clue who that that was his <laughs> new hire because he never met them in person and now half of your face is covered. Um, so yeah, I think it just makes for generally just more interesting dynamics. Than, it than really what we restricts everything, ago. doesn't it? Like yeah. you just, I suppose that's one of the things that you kind of just as certain fintech companies, you know, you're still evolving the customer side of things, you know, you're improving every day on the customer experience and how that can really develop. But actually just from our side of things, that interaction that you need with one another, it's kind of with the months that, you know, have gone by, it shows really how like significant and important it is to try and maintain it. You know, I just, I look forward to the day when we don't have to be doing, you know, so many video calls a day or you have to try and schedule and try and like you know make sure you mention everything mm -hmm. um it's yeah so that, I think that. especially <laughs> uh, you mentioned before about fintechs kind of um trying to do customer interactions like I think so much about companies that are trying to, you know, they want to shadow their customers or see how their customers interact with their product in a more natural environment. And it's 
you can't, you have to mm. do it over Zoom, which takes away a whole natural element of it. So that whole just customer discovery piece even changes something that seems so simple that now becomes much more complicated to recreate in a virtual environment. Absolutely. I think you're totally right there. It's almost as though the digital journey that customers are having, you know, we are trying to keep it very fluent and relaxed and kind of more humane in the sense of when you're talking to customers, but actually it's everything's turning to being digital. So it's kind of how, how do you, you know, um, how do you maintain it? So you've obviously explained a little bit about your career background, which is great. And obviously we've talked about um, your new position uh, with FinTech Sandbox. Um, one, one of my questions that um, I'd like to ask is how is FinTech more necessary now that we've moved to a virtual world you know obviously you just mentioned a, a second ago but you know how has it moved due to the pandemic yeah I mean the pandemic and really just 2020 in general and all that it's brought with it um, <laughs> has really put a spotlight on a lot of um, gaps and financial offerings in um, the U.S. the U.K. other you know countries all over the world um, I think from the payment side, you saw how slow it was for individuals to get relief checks or small businesses to get their PPP loans here in the U.S. Um, you're seeing unbanked and underbanked populations now kind of being locked out of this increasingly cashless society. Um, so I would say payments in particular is really probably the biggest issue in this virtual world. People need their money and they need it immediately because they have to pay bills and get groceries and like have everyday life things going on. Um, but there's a lag in their direct deposit or there's a lag in their check processing. The other piece of it I think is contactless payments and mobile payments that you're seeing. So obviously now with the pandemic, you have people who don't want to touch credit card readers or hold the pens when they have to sign a receipt. Um, so you have more contactless credit card reading, um, even some potential for some biometric or embedded technologies, I think, to come out of that. Uh, you have many bank branches that were closed for a while and people needed to access money in their accounts via their phones instead, which was probably new for a good number of people. Um, and then you have more stores who are just kind of requiring credit cards so that they don't have to touch cash themselves, which again, completely understandable, but then it begs the question of how does that impact those who operate only in cash because they don't have a bank account or they don't have credit cards. So I think fintechs are the ones that are really in the position to fill these gaps and fill them quickly. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think you're going to see a lot of really interesting technologies start to bubble up over the next few months that are kind of a direct result of some of these issues that we're, we're seeing right now. But I think along with all of the other social health issues that came to the, the forefront, I think financial services really did as well. It definitely feels like one of those things at the moment that it's a constant um, change with the way customers are feeling about using, like you said, contactless payments or, you know, they don't necessarily want to touch anything that's mm -hmm. going to feel like more of a risk for them. For example, um, in the UK, a lot of um, post that is delivered, it may say on the box that it needs to be signed for, um, but an element of trust is now being put between the postman, postwoman. Yeah. Um, if, um, if they're obviously putting the package outside your door, instead now they will just watch you pick it up instead of signing for it because they don't want to have, mm, you know. Oh, interesting. We, we, it's one of those things, it's like, do you think of that as a positive that we're actually improving the society by having people trust one another more, but then also, 
it's more of a challenge because not not everything is being done as smoothly as before so you can't you know like you said if someone's not got a bank account and they only rely on cash how are they necessarily going to either still make that trip to the bank or are they going to actually pay for something when they don't feel comfortable or you know there's there's certain parts of the um, older generation where they're having to use i suppose a contactless payment for the first time right it's very surreal, isn't it? It really is. I mean, even um, I'll say even for myself, you know, I have a credit card that has contactless payments, but I really honestly wasn't until um, the pandemic and all of this that I started more consciously using it than I was before. Um, So, I mean, I do think that that's an interesting thing about um, this year is that it's probably, I'm sure some of these things were already on the minds of consumers are already on the minds of financial services institutions or big enterprises, but it's forced acceleration, um, which I think in some ways is good. I think from a technology standpoint, from an innovation standpoint um, is a really good thing. But I also think that there's some challenges that come with that and that we in some ways are speeding up things that then leaves others out of the process. I would totally agree on that. I think with some points like you just said, it's almost as though it's the innovation is innovation is happening it's proving success that certain customers are using that different side of technology but it's forced it's sort of this is how we're going to have to adapt is that how 2020 is going to be or is it going to be like that for you know for the next month or so or even a year that's just um something which kind of we have to ponder that's actually kind of a good point that I hadn't thought about of like okay well we have 2020 and we'll say kind of the aftermath in 2021 as this small period of really accelerated growth and technology and then we'll go back to normal or will this kind of expand into just the future and this will become um, Mm. the new normal you don't hear it talked about as much I think in financial services but I think especially in um, the pharmaceutical space as they're talking about COVID vaccines and how quickly everything has been moving with that compared to how it normally moves Um, Mm. will that become the norm or will that will we just go back to the normal you know, kind of process or thing. Do you know what, what kind of went through my head the other day? And I don't know if this is a, a weird uh, example to put out there, but with what you just said, with how things we're trying to adapt and change to it and kind of learn the new process of things, whether it is with fintech and obviously, like you said, with creating a vaccine, that's something which we know is going to be happening over the next six six months to a year. That's something that we know is going to happen and hopefully it's going to be for um, the better, you know, something better that's going to help improve a lot of lives but with fintech i think sometimes it's almost as like um you know when it was that whole stigma around the y2k of once mm-hmm. you know it hits it's almost and then we will kind of reset right, i think like a before lot of, and after <laughs> yeah you know it's kind of like with fintech and how we're evolving and using uh, in you know different sides of innovation it's almost as though some people think maybe once we've got over 2020 perhaps we will go back to how things used to be. Whereas I don't think that'll be the case. I think once 2020 is out of the way, we will just have to then accelerate even more. (laughs) Yeah, I think you're absolutely right on that. (laughs) (laughs) One thing actually um, I was going to to mention is obviously I know that sustainable finance is an interest of yours. Can you discuss what sustainable finance means actually and um, why you think it's important? Yeah. Um, Sustainable finance, which is actually ties really well into some of what we were even just talking about, Um, But sustainable finance itself is kind of this vague term to begin with. Um, (laughs) I like to kind of think of it as 
more current financial services that builds products to match the needs and interests of real people today. Like if I really boil it down to, to what it is at, the, at its essence. To me, there's kind of two pillars to that. So um, ESG being one side of it. So really ensuring that essentially the world that we're building doesn't simultaneously destroy the world. Um, so whether that be things like solar financing or improved supply chain practices um, or just ways for companies to better track and report their ESG metrics, um, it's much more of that kind of climate sustainability focus side. Um, and then the other side is the inclusion piece. So serving the underserved markets that we were talking about before and creating processes that promote access and are affordable to people. Um, so that could, again, be healthcare financing, it could be on-demand insurance is really important right now, financial mm -hmm. literacy, payments processing, like we were talking about. You know, I think banking and lending in particular have some partic like interesting applications because those are two areas that have just been historically very exclusionary for a lot of <laughs> variety of reasons. But um, so whether that be kind of alternative data factoring into your credit score, like you know, paying for your monthly Netflix subscription on time or even mm. library book return rates and things like that that could be factored into your credit score. Um, again, if you don't have a credit card, that's a good way to grow it. Um, you know, a lot of banks right now require minimum balance or upfront fees to just open an account, just a simple thing as opening an account. You need money in advance. <laughs> um, so that keeps a lot of people out of the system. Um, some better lending models for healthcare costs and small business loans, joint bank account structures, I think are, is a really interesting one. Um, we have a, a, I've seen a few companies, Honey Five being one in terms of couple financing, but just that match today's multi-generational and non-married households that are happening today, as opposed to the traditional households we had 50 years ago and that we have mm. bank accounts that are still set up as if that's how people live. To me, there's kind of countless ways that sustainable and inclusive finance will pay, play a major role in the future of fintech. And I think we're also at this point that people care about it a lot more than they used to. And enterprises are, are starting to realize that they need to pay attention to it, too, if they want to keep their customer base. Um, sustainable finance is something which needs to be you know, discussed. It's very significant, like you said, you know, with how things were 50 years ago to how things are constantly changing at the moment. Yep. Would you say that perhaps, again, I don't know if this is the right phrasing of the question, but because the mention of sustainability has been quite significant at the moment, just as a general statement um, of, you know, a lot of consumers, not from the side of fintech necessarily, but just as a general consumer in society, mm -hmm. you're trying to sustain what you use whether it's certain products or the way you're uh, recycling and you know keeping something going longer for the future would you say that's actually something that's proved to be more significant for the fintech industry at the moment because of how everything else seems to be um, at the top of the radar of sustainability that's an interesting question i think it's become made um sustainability more on the radar of fintech from the standpoint purely of ESG tracking and holding companies accountable for their social impact and governance impact and environmental impact. Mm. Um, I don't know if it's done enough yet in terms of actually creating new products that respond to this. 
um, and actually directly address some of those issues as opposed to better ways to track and hold enterprises accountable for sustainability issues. Yeah, because I suppose one thing I was just thinking of, you know, it's a very general statement for me to say, but one thing with everything turning to into, uh, like we said, contactless payments, stuff that isn't actually defining you using something which is going to then lead to a paper statement afterwards, you know, a lot of people are now turning to online. So when you get your statements through, it's all online, it's yep. paperless, it's very sustainable in that factor. I was just wondering, you know, with that kind of side of things of that's a benefit to fintech because you're still able to, yeah, just improve your digital journey as a company that you can actually just try and um, improve it with the side of sustainability that actually a simple contactless payment you use, you can actually then access it on your phone afterwards to see where that money goes but you don't have necessarily have to have like you know you used to loads of folders where you'd have all your bank right. statements to kind of <laughs> you know I've been guilty to that to you know as a bit of security for me to try and have as many paper documents to kind of see you know okay that's where my money goes that's where it is but now it's all online isn't it yeah exactly I mean I do think just generally the movement towards mobile um, mm. is helping some of these practices to your point of, okay, we're becoming increasingly paperless and moving to a much more mobile world, which then will naturally help with um, some of these sustainability efforts. I think it'll be interesting once we start seeing things that are more around um, financing investment vehicles that are tied to, towards some of these um, sustainability factors. So we've obviously talked a little bit about um, you know, sustainable finance. Um, you know, I'm very much aware that um, FinTech Sandbox sits in the middle of FinTech startups and financial service enterprises, but um, how can FinTechs and enterprises work better together? Not only work better together, but work together more often. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So FinTech Sandbox does sit kind of at this intersection of like startups, financial services players and data providers. Um, so I see a lot of these interactions um, I'd say just in general, we're in this new era of like, it's all fintech, uh, mm. where fintech startups don't just have to worry about competing with the big banks, but they also have to worry about like Amazon and Google and Apple, and then also the more mature fintechs as well. So it's this thing where everyone is in the financial services game now. Um, you know, I think for existing um, tech companies, adding in a financial services product has become really a customer retention or even a customer acquisition strategy. Um, and same for big financial institutions. They're looking to expand their product offerings so that they can attract new customers, different customers, um, kind of these additive services to make things stickier and hopefully in the long run cheaper for themselves internally. Um, so I just bring that up because I think the two sides need each other. Uh, mm. fintechs need the enterprises for wider distribution and for traction metrics so that they can have successful fundraising and enterprises need the fintechs for accessing new customer segments and for their agile tech that the big guys don't have the core competencies um, in-house to build it themselves. So in terms of how they can kind of work together, I think it's a matter, honestly, of being more realistic and prepared for working with each other. I think it's always a bit of a a shock when um, a fintech and a, a, an enterprise comes to the table about how the other's reacting to it. So for startups, knowing that working with a big enterprise is going to be a long, slow process. 
have your paperwork and processes in place as best you can um, to make the process move a bit faster. Um, I think there's also an opportunity for startups, especially the early stage ones. So call it like pre-seed, seed, um, to focus on regional banks and smaller players in the market instead of going immediately after the big guys. The smaller ones just tend to be more open to working with fintechs and more nimble because they just don't have as much hierarchy. Um, and then work your way up to the bigger financial institutions. It's it's a little bit about playing kind of a long game and building this relationship for the future, using your conversations as learning opportunities to get feedback on your product, which is still valuable, even if you're not doing a partnership immediately. And then over time, hopefully that will build into a deal. And then yeah, so it's, it sounds, sorry, I was going to say, it sounds like you need to have that constant uh, preparation you know, it's kind of ongoing that you need to have that preparation to improve the collaboration between the two. Exactly. I think that way, when you finally are at the table, you have your materials already in place and can more or less kind of say, here you go, and just hand it right <laughs> over and things can continue to move versus um, if you need to spend a lot of time now okay, oh man, we have to go back and put a deck together. I wasn't expecting them to want a deck or we have to go back and do a demo video or we need to go talk to our lawyers to make sure this paperwork's in place. All of those things are just going to continuously slow down the process um, when if you have them more or less ready to go, um, then it makes it so much easier to just kind of hand them over and keep the process moving. Um, but then I think on the enterprise side of things, because um, they're definitely not um, <laughs> not out of the, the equation here, I think it's being honest with yourself about your internal processes and if you're actually set up to allow yourself to work with a fintech. Um, so a little bit similarly in that preparedness sense of, you know, how many levels of approval do you actually need to get this done? How long do you think that will take? Can we do anything to make that shorter? Um, even how do you want to work with a fintech? It's, it's interesting. I've talked to some enterprises where they say, oh yeah, we really want to meet fintech startups. It would be great to get more plugged into them. But then you ask them, okay, how are you looking to engage? What's your ideal kind of scenario of working with a startup? And they're really not sure. So it's, you know, are you just trying to do a proof of contest concept with them and test the waters? Or is the goal really to do a full commercial integration into your products and maybe do some kind of white label solution? So um, you can't expect startups to have the same processes and resources as a big enterprise mm -hmm. that you're used to dealing with. Like in startup land, a few weeks can easily be a year for an enterprise in terms of product development and strategy shift. So you need to be, an enterprise needs to be just kind of well positioned to actually take advantage of working with a fintech to get the results they want. Absolutely. So, that, you know, it goes back to uh, what I mentioned a second ago. If you've got that collaboration and the communication, actually, communication seems to be a very significant point to have, especially between enterprises um, and different fintech startups, because if you don't have it, it, you know, it is pointing out the obvious, but you're not going to achieve, I suppose, that successful domino effect, are you? It's not going to have that kind of the ball is rolling and you're working together. It might just be if it's not there, then certain hiccups start to happen along the way. <laughs> exactly. Or even like going to communication, I even recommend to a lot of startups that I talk to after you have any meeting with with an enterprise, 
send an email afterwards with kind of bullet points and notes and next steps because it's so easy for the two sides to walk out of the room thinking like, oh yes, we're on the same page. We're in complete alignment about what we're going to do together and what is required of each of us. And then you come together for the next meeting and it's like, oh, that's, no, no, that's <laughs> it's not, not the what same. we talked about last time. <laughs> like you're talking about two completely different things and you were both in the same meeting. So um, making sure that you're on the same page and continuously checking in with that becomes so, so important. Um, what, what advice would you offer to early stage startups who are trying to scale and raise capital in this environment? Yeah, <laughs> um, be patient <laughs> and, <laughs> and think about your timing, um, especially from a capital perspective. Um, as in, you know, raising capital is just going to be a bit harder now than it was say this time last year. Um, so give yourself a buffer, just a bit more time to close your round. And then with that, also adjust how much you're thinking of raising to make sure that that's really is going to get you through um, that additional buffer and get you through to your next round so that it's not like you close one round and immediately need to go out and fundraise and you know, you're, you're just spending your time always, always thinking about cash and always thinking about fundraising. Um, I am hearing from investors that they're still writing checks and they're still hunting for deals, even though from I'm from the founder perspective, it doesn't feel like that's the case. Um, mm -hmm. I think just finding deals is much harder in this virtual world where you don't have in-person events and you don't have as much networking. And I think investors are probably being pickier about progress and traction metrics now, just more from a risk appetite standpoint with all that's gone on this year. I have seen some good stats out there that like if you have already raised around that earlier stage investors are doing more follow on investments this year than in the past. So doubling down on companies that they already know, essentially, and know are, are good bets. Um, so that's if you've already raised before, that's one good strategy to take too. Um, otherwise, I'd give my normal advice, which I think becomes probably even more essential during the year of the pandemic, which is just to hone in on your story. It's completely understandable that you and your co-founders have had to change course or shift your offering a bit to match this new normal. Um, it'd be surprising if you hadn't had to shift at all and you're just doing fine, but um, <laughs> your traction numbers are probably a bit impacted as well. But just make mm. sure you're telling a cohesive story of, okay, we were doing X, but now because of COVID, we're focused on Y instead. Here's why we're so excited about this new route and why it's going to be the right route for our customers and like put that whole story together. You can't expect the story that you used in 2019 or even January of 2020 to really work in the same way. You really have to, I think, put it in context of this year. At the end of the day, it's a human business. VCs want to connect with your story. They understand it on a very, I'd say like emotional human level. And they want to give capital to founders that are making the smart strategy decisions and executing well. So all in all, I just don't think founders focus enough on their story and messaging when it comes to, to talking about their business. I think that's um, definitely a keynote for a lot of our, our listeners, um, our fintech listeners, who actually it is just, you know, kind of it is one to kind of remember to businesses that patience, like you said, is vital at the moment, especially with everything going on in 2020, it is just, it's common sense that things are still, like we said before, people are adapting, we are improving, renovating a lot of fintech innovation at the moment, but there is that human side. 
and you do kind of if things are slowing down a little bit not a problem because <laughs> 2020 has been you know a year um but yeah I think a lot, a lot of listeners will appreciate what you've just said Kelly and I think you know patience is a very vital uh pillar to have at the moment in fintech because yeah. it, it is just it it is changing every day um hopefully for, for the better at the moment. Um, I think too Kelly, on the human level, sorry, just to, yeah. I, think, I think on the human level too, I mean, more from a customer standpoint is, mm. you know, the pandemic has affected your customers too, whether they're, that's, you know, enterprises or small businesses or consumers. Um, and I think especially focusing on not trying to always get the sale out of them, but a little bit just asking hey, how are you doing? How can I help? Um, becomes a really important question. And again, that human connection of it, it, you have to pause a little bit of your kind of forced sales efforts and just take a step back and, and check in with them and make sure that they're doing okay and see if you can be a value in other ways to them. Yeah, Kelly, I think that's spot on because it's, that does seem to be one of the things at the moment that, of course, like you said, companies, you know, you still have that sale on the table. You still have that raised agenda of what you're trying to achieve out of something. But if you're not having that human interaction of just, hey, just checking in just to see how things are going, then how are you still supposed to have the customer feel satisfied with what's what's being done? Now, well, one thing, Kelly, I did want to talk about. Um, can you tell me a bit more about Boston Fintech Week 2021? Anything new on the agenda? Yeah, so yeah, so Fintech Sandbox hosts an incredible event um, called Boston Fintech Week, um, and we're coming up on our third one, from which I still can't get over the fact that we're talking about 2021 already. <laughs> but, um, since Fintech Sandbox is headquartered in Boston, it started really as this great celebration of the local Fintech community there, and has turned into kind of this big ecosystem event with some really, really great speakers. So our theme for 2021 is financial services for anyone, anywhere, anytime, which is just so apt and relevant today, especially given all that you and I have just talked about here. So the content will be really focused on building financial products that meet people where they are today, which is, you know, like we talked about mobile, real time, decentralized, inclusive, all of those things. So the event will touch on kind of the current state of fintech, as well as what we think the future will hold in these areas. Um, you can actually go to bostonfintechweek.org to stay kind of up to date on the event and registration will be available soon. Um, and then also say we did kind of just do a series of fintech talks and virtual a virtual demo day back in September to really start getting the community geared up and excited for Boston Fintech Week. Um, and we had some really incredible speakers and topics um, and just great conversation around fintech um, almost as a bit of a sneak preview between like we talked about DeFi, we had a payments panel, insurance, um, our great demo day. So you can check those out on the Fintech Sandbox YouTube page as well. We've posted them there for those who couldn't join us live. Well, that, that sounds great. I think I'm, I'm more excited for you guys that actually it is happening. It is going to be, like we said, 2021. We didn't think was um, going to be coming around so soon, but <laughs> it does definitely seem to be something which is going to um, be something exciting, um, especially, you know, in, in the fintech um, sector at the moment. A lot of events, of course, have been postponed, um, delayed due to current circumstances, but that is just something that's happening. Sounds really exciting. Um, and I, ho I hope it goes down well for you. Um, 
Kelly, is there anything else that you would like to talk about today that we haven't spoke about? I don't think so. I think that's all, all I had on my <laughs> mind today. This was so much fun. What a good way to start start my Friday morning. <laughs>